0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to another episode of the Ummerpreneur podcast. I'm so excited to connect with you guys today for a very special episode. If you don't know who I am, my name is Abiy Lassam. I am the host of the podcast and the CEO of Ummerpreneur. And today I bring with me brother Ali Ahmed from Wahid X, formerly known as Maidan Capital. Ali, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today?
1: Wa well, like alaikum brother Abi. Alhamdulillah I'm great. I'm great to have uh, to be on the podcast with you and thank you very much for inviting me on.
0: Of course. The pleasure is all mine. And I'm super excited about this conversation because to be honest with you, I think the conversation we were about to have today is one that so many Muslims reach out to me. I mean, I think the majority of the DMS that I receive on Instagram is really about how can I get halal funding for my business? How can I, you know, create a business where I can, I can get venture capital and I can grow this idea that I have in my mind. So having someone like yourself that really works within this industry and specializes in this domain is going to be incredibly valuable. Inshallah, can you share with us a little bit more about what? it is that you do specifically and what does Wahid X do as well?
1: Yeah, so great. No, definitely. I'd be really interested and excited to have this conversation because I get the same as well. So it's great <laughs> to actually have something that will be hopefully resonate with, with many others. So Absolutely. my role at, at Wahid X is investor relations. And essentially what Wahid X is, is we are a private investment platform. So we serve two, pa- two purposes. So for investors, it's giving them access to highly vetted sharia compliant tech startups and for founders it's a place to go to raise capital that is sharia compliant so traditionally if you were a founder and you're looking to raise capital where would you go you would go to a bank who offers you a loan um, which isn't sharia compliant because of you know it's based on interest or you would go to a venture capital firm who offers preference shares And Sharia scholars have unanimously agreed that preference shares are not Sharia compliant due to its debt-like characteristics. So you're really left with no real scalable uh, options for raising capital. And if if you were to choose to go for preference shares, uh, the chances of success are pretty low. So just in the UK from 2009 to 2019, only 1.7% of venture capital funding went to founders from diverse backgrounds. And from that statistic, we can only work out what percentage actually went to Muslim founders. And that's kind of the whole purpose of Wahid X. We want to be able to plug that gap and be the go-to place for Muslim founders globally to come to with their ideas and concepts and startups and go through a process where they can potentially obtain funding at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Definitely, 100%. And what, is it, what role do you play, Ali, within the organization? What do you specialize in? So my specialty is on the investor
1: side. So okay. when we have investment opportunities, my role is to speak to investors, discuss the opportunities with them, um, tell them about the, the intricacies, understanding the return profiles. But as part of that, I also get very heavily involved in early stage deal origination because I have the connection with the investors, I can speak to the the deal origination team and and really give them, you know, an investor's point of view and angle, because essentially that's who we're serving at the end of the day. And so I get involved at both the deal origination stage, but but generally most of my role is focused on speaking to investors. And these investors range from, you know, family offices, high net worth investors, down to your, your, your everyday investors. So the likes of me and you, Abi, uh, you know, and others. And yeah. So alhamdulillah, it's great because you, you get so many different perspectives as well on, on and deals.
0: Well, I really love the fact that you are specialized in that area. So you're really focused in on, if I understand correctly, working with investors to help facilitate the process of investing in Muslim startups and essentially ethical startups, if I understand correctly, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So okay. you know, usually, if not all of our investors are mission-driven, Uh, value driven investors. So they're looking to support Muslim founders or founders from diverse backgrounds that are doing Sharia compliant businesses. So some of those may be in in the fintech space, or generally in other areas that uh,
0: are, are beneficial to society. Amazing. So I really love that you specialize within that area because this is who I, who my audience wants to hear from right now is they want to know from an investor's perspective, how do I create a business that is going to not only qualify for halal funding, inshallah, but as well be a successful business that people will continue to want to invest in long term. So I have a lot of questions for you today that I'm excited to share. And one of the big things is what have you noticed so far? Throughout your journey in working with investors and being kind of that person that connects both the investor to the startup, what have you noticed that investors are really looking for when it comes to the businesses that they invest in?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question, Abby. I think our focus is early stage. So that's talking pre-seed to series A. And mm-hmm. at this stage, you're really looking at the founding team and their qualities. So when I speak to investors, a lot of the questions are around, like, how much time have you spent with the founders and you know we like to put the founders in front of the investors as well we do a webinar for each of our investment opportunities so they get to see and get a feel for for the founders themselves so a lot of that is you know when you're investing at early stage you're, you're really counting on the team to be able to pull it off so mm-hmm. i would say most most definitely that's important and when you're looking at a team you're not looking at just an individual you can have a single founder as a t as a as, as, uh, that's leading the startup but it's important to have a diverse range of skill sets within that so a cto with a tech background if it's a b2c play then having a a good chief marketing officer and and so on and so on so Mm -hmm. the 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 main thing that investors look at is is number one team secondly it's the idea and and how how big this thing can be because when you're investing in private investment opportunities you're really looking for uh, a substantial return on investment due to the fact that you're giving away uh, liquidity um you you can't take your capital out whenever you want so the the size of the market needs to be big enough to excite the investors and and the numbers need to to make sense so it's something that's very simple you know it's a problem you're solving large enough to attract a, a substantial return for investors in the future and thirdly i guess ethics and this is really important nowadays with you know not just on the Sharia side, Abi, but also you—you know—the the climate change that we're going through, all of these other things, uh, ESG. So investors are are always asking me about the social impact of whatever startup that we're 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 bringing to market.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you mentioned three things: really, the team that you look at, the idea itself, and as it's well the ethics that run the entire operation. Now for you mentioned early stage startups now how early stage are we talking here can someone come up to you and say i have this idea for a marketplace i think it's really cool but it's really just an idea in their mind and there's no business plan there's nothing really or does it have to be at a certain point where as you mentioned like they do need to have the team in place they need to have some type of structure some type of proof of concept right in what the, what they want to do
1: yeah so just to give you an example i'll use an example that we've done so one of the companies, if the first one we actually did was a company called Fairnance. They're based mm-hmm. in Netherlands and they are essentially providing Muslims an alternative to interest-based mortgages. And they came to us at a pre-revenue stage, but both the founders are working full-time. They had secured capital from um, another start, uh, venture studio called Venture Rock. And although they don't have any revenue, they had a very detailed plan of execution. Mm-hmm. So we are open to pre-revenue companies but we do ask that you spend some time to get to a stage where you have built out a roadmap and a plan, and it's a, that you have a very clear use of what you're going to do with the funds post investment. That mm-hmm. gives you a great advantage. Just to t- just to give you guys some context, we receive maybe 40 to 50 decks, you know, uh, a month. Potentially that number look. rising as well. So it is a competitive process, yeah. and we have a h- highly selective system where maybe one or two opportunities will be live on a, in a, in a given month. So to give yourselves the best shot and chance, it's best to come at a stage when you are ready and you have done a lot of the, the groundwork to get to that stage. But pre-revenue is as long as you, the concept is there and you guys have uh, an idea and already hit the ground running, that's not an issue.
0: Amazing. So you mentioned you receive 40 to 50 decks a month out of those, how many do you actually accept?
1: So out of those that we actually, actually accept, I'd say between one to two, but Once that's two just, months. Okay. Yeah, that's, that, that's just and obviously sometimes it takes longer to review an yeah. opportunity. Then it might not be in one month that we get through the whole opportunity. It might take a couple of months, but I'd say between one to two, get, make it all the way through to the platform and, and get funding. Okay. So I'm
0: gonna, yeah, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here on this podcast, because I want to make sure I get all the juice out. What is it about those one to two that you guys, you know like give the green light to that the other 40 50 don't have
1: so in terms of that it's it's very it's it's more of a in in a nice way to put it it's more of an art than a science right so it just it it depends they give you that extra level of excitement and and feeling you know whether that be the 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 team and the founders and you know i'm a bit personally like i love a founder that can sell so that's one of the things that i look for can they think on the feet when they get ask difficult questions and they can really come up with a, a strong answer and make you believe and uh, because that's a lot of, that's a big part of the business is raising capital so one of the guys that we've raised for economy they they're now raising a double the valuation just shortly after closing, and Michelle. he was one that gave me a, that that feeling of excitement when I spoke to him because he can think in a, almost like a, another dimension. So it's really you, you get the founders, you know, they they make you buy into the vision and belief. Also, when you have a market that is huge, so for example, the company that we that we're just raising for now is the company in Pakistan, and Pakistan is the fifth largest population in the world. Um, you know, a growing middle class with now 64% of the population is under the age of 30. So there's huge market opportunities there. We've had startups that have come out of the region, such as Kareem, who got bought out by Uber. Uh, Daraz was bought out by Alibaba. So there's a lot of excitement with that region. So when you see an exciting opportunity, that really puts it um, towards the top of the pile. But really Mm -hmm. apart from that, it just depends on the fit. Like, are we a good fit for you guys, as well as, you know, you guys being a good fit for us. So I think for those, four that we've now done it's really just a kind of a marriage between their values our values where we are and it just fits like a jigsaw piece
0: mm-hmm. when you're investing in a startup what is it that you're hoping as the investment firm and as the investors that are putting their money forward what kind of outcome are they hoping for right generally are you hoping that eventually this goes public are you hoping that it gets bought out what outcome are you looking for with the company
1: yeah. So we're looking at a tangible exit op- opportunity. So whether that be a private acquisition or or an IPO. So mm-hmm. that's the key. There has to be an exit opportunity that is tangible. Mm-hmm. There has to be some sort of roadmap to that. And we we do a lot of work on due diligence of that roadmap, even though it can change and it can be iterated along the way. But for sure, I have, uh, it's, it's one of the most important things, if not, you know, mm-hmm. like of paramount importance because i've had startups that have come to us and they, they have no idea how the exit is going to come this is one of the fundamentals of raising capital when you're raising investor capital you need to have a clear exit strategy for the for the investor or have an idea of what it will look like
0: mm-hmm, definitely 100 so so you mentioned that you take on some companies that are pre-revenue i know we're doing this rapid fire i'm loving this right now yeah. um so pre-revenue of course, you know, someone when they, when they, when it comes to raising money, I think a lot, of, a lot of something that people who maybe haven't done this yet don't realize is that raising money means that you are going to give away a share of the company, right? In exchange for that, right? Like it's not just going to be free money that goes into your bank account. So for a company that is pre-revenue, how do you determine a fair valuation, right? For an entrepreneur listening to this, how can they determine a fair valuation for a company that hasn't generated any revenue? So this is a
1: really good question. So depending on you have to price it based on the market as well so startup valuations are subjective as well especially when you don't have anything you don't have a bit you don't have these metrics that you can use that you know more more established companies will have so a lot of the time it's looking at the market and looking at similar startup data and it's very easy to get data online by the way just go on crunchbase pitchbook and look mm-hmm. at similar startups in your sector look at them uh, from different sectors of the regions of the world and really map out why you are going for this value you know at early stages you're going to give away more of the business and that's normal so one of the approaches that i would recommend or i do recommend is raising a lower amount of capital to begin with so you hold on to more shares you know more ownership of your company and as you get to further stages raise, raise, raise more capital. Then obviously it's, it's a bit more burdensome than raising in one hit, but at at least that way you protect the ownership of the company.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, when you're giving away ownership of a company as a startup owner and CEO, does that also mean that you're giving away decision-making or can you give away necessarily shares that are, that aren't voting shares right to investors?
1: That's a really good, really good question. You can essentially give away shares without giving away ownership uh, or giving away decision-making power so mm-hmm. for example on a case-by-case basis sometimes we take an observer board position versus having having board uh, you know decision decision making power yeah. and you know it's it's, it's worth a conversation yeah. if you have a frank conversation and you point out the reasons why you would want to keep decision-making power if you've got the right partner in place, they will be receptive and understanding of that. But then they may, you may want to listen to their perspective as well. Or Like why would YheadX want to have a board seat? Is there any strategic reason for that? Maybe it's to guide you guys and help you make the right decisions and for the interest of you and your investors. So really have a good think about that. And one of the things that I would suggest and which I do, which I do suggest is to actually speak to advisors, speak to others that know the industry and also founders that have been in the same position that you have. You'll find mm-hmm. that through LinkedIn, it, LinkedIn is amazing. You can reach out reach out to founders from literally any company in the world and send them a message. And you'll realize that a lot of them, as you're in the same situation that they are in, they will be very receptive to help. Like, I've done it myself. I've used LinkedIn just to message people and say, hey, like, how, like I've, I'm struggling with this right now. Like, Can you give me some of your advice or what do you think about this? and alhamdulillah you know nine times out of ten i've had responses and yeah. it's it's just about putting yourself out there and getting the right people around you to mm-hmm. help you make those types of decisions
0: i have a question for you in regards to that in the, in the same uh kind of f- from within the same category and it's something i'm curious about as an investor uh looking at a potential startup if someone comes up to you and says this very thing which is you know, I do want, I do want to bring you guys on. We need some venture capital, uh, to fund our, uh, the launch of this business. But I actually want to make sure that I retain all decision-making power for you. Is that something that gives you pause as an investor? Is that, is that like an extra thing you have to think about generally would you, would you prefer to have input when investing in a startup? Personally, I prefer to have input. Mm-hmm. So generally we meet with all of our startups
1: once at least monthly. We just mm-hmm. did a workshop with one of them on last week and we, we spent the full day together so we we know the value that we bring you know being wahid x part of the wahid group that now has you know 300 000 customers globally operational in the uk us malaysia That's and cool. alhamdulillah great tech ecosystem so we we like to work closely with founders decision making power is something that I'm probably not too bothered about but it's just i guess the the tone of the conversation or how it how it plays mm-hmm. out, it plays
0: and
1: plays For a big sure. difference. so there's there's no there's no um, objection to it mm-hmm. as to make commercial sense, but yeah. generally it's understanding the partner that you're working working with. So if you're choosing to work with us and you 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 want to hold on to this decision making power, that's fine. But we will uh, give you our suggestions and thoughts and work with mm-hmm. you along the way, so yeah. you get the best of both worlds.
0: And the reason the reason why I'm asking this is because. I actually personally think if you are going to bring an investor to help launch and fund your business, it should not only be that they only bring money to the table because to be completely honest and speaking from experience, money is actually not that hard to come by as a business owner, as long as you have a validated product and, and, you know, you have product market fit, which once you get that, you can generate an income in your business and it's no problem. But what is actually hard to come by is the right guidance from people who are, you know, in various other industries that have more experience than you that can help mentor you and guide you towards success. And I think that is what you should look for as an entrepreneur and as a startup owner is how can I bring the people on board that are going to be strategic partners to my growth versus how can I just get the money that I need to launch this business? Would you agree?
1: I definitely agree with you. It's so important to be careful about who you have on your cap table, especially mm-hmm. uh, you, you mentioned right guidance. So if you've got a compliant business, and let's say you have an alcohol company or an arms company that is offering you capital, like, is it wise to take that? You know, are they gonna give you the right guidance? Are they gonna support you? Or are they just going to, you know, milk you? So, you know, it's, when you're thinking about raising capital, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's, if you've got a good idea and good concept, everyone will come to you, you know? So it's about selecting the right partners that are aligned with you and your values. And I'm, in full agreement with you that right now especially from from an investor's point of view we we don't want to just provide capital we want to give you support Mm -hmm. and alhamdulillah i have like a a number of investors that message me almost every day about previous investments and say hey like i have this person i can introduce to them or you know this these guys have offered to help and there's you, you get a lot of benefit from that from selecting the right investors versus if you're just selecting capital just to get quick money in they might give you the money in a week or two uh, but they 're not going to give you any support after that Is that really going to help you in the long term so it 's like short term versus versus long term success basically
0: hundred mm-hmm, percent now i I do want to ask, and this is something that i 'm personally curious about would you as as a as an investor um, would you invest in a startup that doesn 't have a validated profit model that comes to you and says, "Look, we have this really amazing." app idea or business idea or platform that we want to build. And it's going to cater to this audience. And this is how we're going to engage the users. And we know they're going to love it. And it's going to be free for them to access because we want to essentially attract the audience initially, right? But we don't yet know how we're going to monetize but we just know that the audience wants this and we know that we can we can attract them with this product so if someone comes up to you in a situation like this where there isn't yet a profit model but they have a strategy to attract the audience that they feel you know we can appeal to the audience in a certain way is that something that gives you pause as an investor or do you feel like it's com- what we're looking for is bringing on the audience first then the profit model can come later because i've noticed in silicon valley and in a lot of these tech startups yeah. The profit model comes later. So for you as investors, do you want to know ahead of of time, how are we going to monetize this? Or is that not as important initially? So for me, I'll
1: I'll speak from a personal point of view. Uh, Before I do that, I will just mention that risk investing in startups is risky. And you know, it's, uh, you should only really invest if you understand the risks. And if you need to, if you are considering invest, investing seek uh, advice from a financial professional. Mm -hmm. From my personal point of view, I have a higher risk Tolerance. So I would. Uh, this is. This would be something that I would be pretty excited about. When you're looking at startups, you're looking at disruptive industries. Things are. Things are new and innovative. And if you look at some of the successful social media players, like Facebook, etc., they had no monetization strategy, but they built a large community. So there's value in building communities, and there's value in in data. Obviously, we have to be ethical with how we deal with data, but there's there's value in building communities and solving problems at large scale. Uh, from a more conservative perspective the market has shifted to where it was 12 months ago we're entering into a global recession Mm -hmm. we're having a you know high interest rate environment Uh, public markets are struggling so now there is a bit more of a focus on path to profitability and being cash positive Mm -hmm. so for this current market i would say that from a from a holistic point of view it have that in mind like have have a strategy in mind for how you will monetize because we have seen a couple of strong opportunities throughout the year which ha- had essentially that they were building a community but they didn't have a clear monetization strategy and they weren't successful through the process and that's um been the case for the whole industry that i'm looking at startups that are getting funding and those are ones that are, that are struggling a little more than if they, if it was a year ago so personal opinion is I like this kind of stuff that's, you know, Mm. building communities, but for now, have a focus on being cash positive, getting your path to profitability and uh, just uh, have a a blueprint of of what you want to follow for the next, let's say three to five years.
0: Mm. So What have you seen in your experience to be the best way? And this is kind of giving advice to startup owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs. What have you seen to be the best way or at least the most common way for uh, an owner that wants to bring shareholders or bring investors on board to structure kind of like the share agreement, right? So for example, I mean, that's a big question that I get and that a lot of yeah. people think about, right? It's like, okay, how much do I really want to give away? And even when I do, like, how am I going to really ensure that this partner is going to be here for the long term? And even not just as investors, but you mentioned building a team in a previous answer, right? Yeah. And for a lot of people, initially, as we were, we're even just talking about right now, sometimes we're pre profit model, pre revenue in the business. And at that point, it's like, okay, look, I want to bring you on. I think you're an amazing, let's say, developer. Mm-hmm but uh, I can't really pay you a salary right now. I mean, I potentially could once we bring people on, but at this moment, I mean, you're betting on this to work with me. So I'm gonna have to give you probably an equity uh, stake in the business. What have you seen to be commonly kind of the best way to divvy divvy that up? And I know that's a very, very case by case kind of question, but I don't know if you just had any general advice for our listeners about that. Uh, Suppose
1: for for employees, um, you have the ESOPs, employee share options. And that's a great way to incentivize people to work in startups because mm-hmm. you give them shares of the business. And and I've seen that across all of the startups, more or less all of them, they all have ESOPs. So that's a great way to incentivize um, your team, but really you should find a team that really wants to solve the problem. And I guarantee or can't guarantee, but I'm very, very bullish on the fact that you have a lot of people in today's age that would want to work for a startup and solve a problem that they will be obsessed with Mm -hmm. due to the fact that uh, there's so much excitement with it. You're building something from the ground up. You learn so much. There's so many skills that you learn from being in the weeds at a startup. So to motivate them, it's really the problem number one and how how Mm. working together on a problem collectively and ESOPs is a great way uh, for in terms of structures did you mean in terms of investing structures so safe agreements is that what you were kind of hinting at as well correct
0: yes correct
1: so if you're early stage then almost everyone that that i'm speaking to that's early stage is using safe agreements mm-hmm. and the benefit of that is that you don't have the long 100 page uh, share purchase agreements that you have to sign with investors it just saves all of that legal burden it's, it's a lot more easier to execute so that would be um, uh, my suggestion. Just,
0: you, what is that? What is a safe agreement?
1: A so safe agreement essentially. Let's say you raise via a safe now. You don't give away equity in your company now. So mm-hmm. the benefit of that is, you when you give away equity, you have like a long share purchase agreement. There's so many terms and conditions. You have to get that reviewed by by lawyers. Usually, the investor will want to review that themselves. So it just takes a lot longer to execute. Versus a safe is a much shorter legal document, and it's pretty much standardised. I think uh, Y Combinator they came up with the they originated the safe agreement and it's been used by startups globally since then, and okay. essentially yeah, it just makes it a lot easier to execute. And then you usually what you'll do is if you raise that safe now at let's say a, ca- a capped valuation, when you have a priced round in the future, let's say your Series A, the shares will convert at at that capped price at that at that future round. So you essentially you incentivize the investor because they're in in, in a future round they're going to get a lot more value for the shares that they have on paper anyway
0: Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that now what are some industries that you've seen across the board venture capital firms prioritize when it comes to investment right every every single era has Kind of like the next big thing that's coming. That's coming along, right? Like if you if you rewind back to the early 2000s, it was all about like the dot com era, right? And like all the, all the tech startups. And right now, I think it's starting to kind of go back to that. But in in regards to cryptocurrency, in regards to blockchain, um, fintech, you know, those are some really really hot uh, hot industries right now. But what are some some industries that you've been looking at? Um, Wahidex and, and other investment firms. You've noticed that they've been prioritizing when it comes to funding.
1: Yeah. So it's funny, a few months ago, it was all Web3, blockchain, Mm -hmm. all of of that sort of stuff. Now it's back to AI. So AI is not right now. We actually did an AI deal in Q2. So we were a bit ahead of the curve. And we have a specific focus on Islamic fintech. So two out of the four investments we've done to date have been Islamic fintech. The reason being because our our ethos is to look at alternatives to interest-based financing and and Taking people out of river, so that's one of our key focus. But generally, for for VCs, they all have their own angles. You'll have deep deep tech VCs, you'll have Web three VCs, and right now, I guess AI is 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 back as as the buzzword. Interesting.
0: What what do you think has caused cryptocurrency to kind of slowly wean out of the picture? I mean, possibly. I mean, we could potentially relate it to. Uh, just the the large downturn that has happened recently in in regards to just the the valuation of the market as a whole, but it could be something else as well. What has been your perspective? So honestly, I I don't have
1: too much expertise in the crypto space, but mm-hmm. just from a just from a market analysis point of view, it's just generally just the the, the market trend has has, mm-hmm. has shifted away. There's been a few big um crypto players that have like have devalued like almost like, to zero right so yeah. that's had a huge impact on investors and investor sentiment so that kind of feeds into the decision makers making the decisions that the the vcs make so vcs the general partners they're kind of feed off of what the lps uh you know how they react and a lot of people have been burned by crypto so Mm-hmm. it's generally the, the the market shift and things happen in trends and when, yeah. when, when they, they usually move quite a lot basically
0: yeah and let me ask you this what's your opinion on you know recently i've been reading in the news uh that essentially meta and facebook in general it's called meta now uh have been just essentially bleeding money for the last uh, few quarters i think the last time i checked they they reported like uh, 800 billion in losses, but I could be wrong. I might be off in number, but I know it was in the high billions, uh, in terms of not losses, but I think they lost market cap. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, right. That they lost in market cap. So, you know, they had this big vision for building this entire metaverse and yeah, yeah. this vision that they had isn't right now, at least, uh, <laughs> coming, to, coming to life, the way that they envisioned it. So has that also affected seeing what happened to Meta right now? Has that also you, th- Potentially affected your opinion on cryptocurrency in that market as a whole, or do you think it plays a role?
1: Um, I'm not
0: too sure. So, what's
1: happened with with Meta and Meta and and the, the other big tech players is generally, look, you've seen a, a fall in this is public markets. Mm-hmm. The public markets have lost a lot of value, and you know, capital is there's, there's there's more investors that are choosing to sit out, or you know, there's there's less activity. So, the, the impact it has on startups is. There's lower valuations for startups, which is a good thing for investors because mm-hmm. we're getting more value now than we were previously, and then much higher potential for return. So I can comment on, on that aspect of it. Yeah, uh, please go ahead. It's it's definitely uh, a good thing for from an investor's point of view. From from a founder's point of view, it means that they, they're giving up more of their company, but it mm-hmm. means that you're getting, um, it's, it's a much more prudent environment. And these are the types of environments that you can really thrive in. it's a good time to be a startup at initiation because you can uh, build your startup in a tough economic climate so when you have the rosier times you're already built for it you know you're built for tough times and when it when you have strong um, you know bullish markets you'll hopefully reap the rewards of that but then what it means is when the when times are tough you can withstand um the winds and the waves and everything
0: mm-hmm you know, talking about investors, you know, because I think so far in the conversation, we've kind of left them out of the picture. So it's time to bring them in speaking to investors specifically. One of the questions that I had for you is we talked earlier in the, in the episode about, you know, the fact that what we're looking for is really having some type of outcome related to the investment, right? Is there going to be an exit on the roadmap? Is is it going to be bought out? Is it going to be an IPO? So that generally happens only to a small percentage of companies that are, that are actually funded right now. I've always had this question myself as a venture capital firm, you're putting, you know, so much money into these startups, right? Millions of dollars does the money that you invest and then hoping for like that small percentage to actually achieve that outcome. Does that outcome when achieved for that small percentage make up for all, all the ones that didn't right from an investment point of view?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question as well. So from generally I can speak about the VC market. So, Top performing, so top quartile VCs, they have an IRR of 37%. So generally, what that means is, on an annual basis, you would make 37% cumulative over the course of the in, the, the investment um, okay. cycle. And average per year, just to clarify. 37% payer, yeah. So 37%, and oh. that's the top. That's what you're talking about the the sequoias okay. of this world. Right. Uh, and then you have your average. I think Sequoia might be even higher. Actually, I don't want them to come after me. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have your average venture capital performance, which is twenty five percent IRRs. So that's twenty five percent per year, mm-hmm. and low performing, uh, bottom quartile have twelve percent IRRs. So to, mm-hmm. so that's generally the the horizon. So most, if not all, you know, good VCs will uh, make their money back, mm-hmm. and generally the, the the way they they do that is they make sure their portfolios are diversified so they'll have they wouldn't have concentration in one section they will diversify across a range of portfolios they may have a, a specific fund mandate like deep tech for example yeah. but they'll they'll construct the portfolios in a, in a very professional manner what we do at X is we operate on a deal-by-deal basis and our minimum investments 1000 pounds So the types of deals that we get access to, the minimum investment for angel investors would be a hundred thousand plus. What we're able to do is because we're taking an allocation and we have a relationship with the founders which we develop, we can get get our investors in from from as as low as a thousand pounds. And we um, generally, when speaking to investors, we let them know that there's multiple investment opportunities available. So it may be in their best interest to diversify rather than you know, investing any spare capital that they have into one startup
0: speaking of what had invest so if someone were to come to you to yep. invest in in startups you know they're listening to the, this potential roi and they're like that sounds a little bit better than than the stock market let me see what i can do here and they want to move forward now you mentioned you mentioned a very a very good point that you would you would advise them to diversify for that very reason is that you want to make sure that they have enough in their portfolio where they can achieve yeah. that, that roi now if someone comes to you with a small amount like a thousand pounds are you going to yourself say we're going to add this to a fund where it's already diversified for you and you're just going to get the average roi from that fund total or do you ask them specifically hey do you want to dedicate this towards one specific startup how does it work so in that in that case we would
1: most likely tell tell them it's probably not suitable for them if they only have a thousand pounds in capital you know Mm -hmm. there's other so so wahid Invest allows investors to invest from a little, as little as a hundred pounds, and that gives you access to a diversified portfolio Got into it. you know hundreds of stocks, gold, um, so cool. and you can you can liquidate that whenever you want. So you yeah. can, that's liquid. So these private investments, even for the most sophisticated investors, it shouldn't make up the 100% of their investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. They should only really allocate a specific section of it due to the characteristics of the liquidity time horizons we're talking about a 10 year time horizon realistically for a portfolio. That's, that's what most op funds operate eight to 10 years. Okay. So it's a, a different in, in investment product. So for yeah. investors that are looking to invest from as little as a thousand pounds, we'd still say, mm-hmm. look, you have about, I'd say 10,000 in savings. And then mm-hmm. from there, you can create a portfolio over a couple of years. That's yeah. a place to start in my, in, in my opinion, but everyone's different. That's generally the approach that 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 I provide to friends and family and others who who ask mm. about investing when they're looking to get started.
0: So let's say someone has a bit of a higher amount. Let's say someone's yeah. listening to this and are like, "All right, I got a I got a hundred k. I want to put towards this because you know, as Muslims, we're we're limited in the amount of halal options that we have to generate in ROI. So I believe in what you guys are doing. Love what Hedex. I want to move forward with this. Um, again, my, my question is: Would they be kind of putting that money towards? And my question, the reason I'm asking this is because did you structure, yeah. and this is where I'm coming at, is did you structure the the you Wahidex know, in the way that you fund those startups, right? Did you structure it in a way where you, you've you packaged all of those investments, yeah. let's say, right? Um, like, quote unquote, you've packaged them, like, th- think of like an ETF, right? Exactly. Like, like yeah. you've, you've, you've packaged them into an ETF and you're like, this is our, you know, halal startup ETF and you put money towards this. And then, you know, as like some of these startups go on to, you know, achieve their outcome, exits, et cetera, that ETF grows in value. And over time your investment grows in value, or is it like, no, it's really going to be like, you know, that hundred K there's, there's like these 10 startups that we're currently looking at yeah. one and we're going to, we're going to go for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So right now we're, we're on the second model. So we're basically, we don't operate as a fund. We operate on a deal by deal basis okay. so on a, throughout the course of a year, we'll have, let's say 12 to 20 startups that are available and we'll, it's at the discretion of the investor if they choose to invest or not and it's essentially not operating as a fund as of as of now so inshallah in the future we're able to offer more diversified opportunities What the fund does give you is it gives you like autonomy in terms of decision making you choose what you want to invest in and
0: plenty of options there for investors so so you would actually come in and really you you yourself would be a venture capital investor and you'd have that kind of autonomy to say, well, okay, here's a list of startups that Wahidex is currently working with or, 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 or evaluating. And, and you can kind of say, well, these are the ones that I want to, that I want to invest in. And these are the ones that have the most like that I'm, that I personally relate to, for example.
1: Yeah, exactly. Abby, and And that's the whole beauty of it. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have investors. that will say, Hey, like this one, I, I, this one's that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm, I might not invest in this one, but now have another one say, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. This is my area. This is my space. Like, I get education, I get ed tech, like, I know there's a space for this. And then they'll, they'll go for the one that makes more sense to them. And then other other investors will just have a approach where they just want to diversify. So they'll, they'll just Mm -hmm. put their, you know, eggs in different baskets, essentially.
0: How much involvement can an investor who's, um, who's investing a larger amount of capital have within the startup that they're investing in? How much involvement generally are they? are they able to have when moving forward with WahiDex.
1: Yeah. So from from our point of view we take all of that burden away from investors. Okay. So we do all of the post investment monitoring, support, opening up doors for them and really is is it should be a zero effort on their end. If they do want if they do have some strategic value that they want to provide, they can reach out to me and and we can provide that. But also from the startup's point of view, they don't need to deal with 200 investors or even five investors. They have Y head X Great. and we're mm-hmm. trying to make all the capital through 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 ourselves. So instead of having five meetings a month with five different investors, they have one meeting with us and we cover everything we need to cover and, and give them the, the support they need. So it's, it works out better on both sides from that point of view. But regardless if you're investing a, a thousand pounds, a hundred thousand pounds, the fee is the same. If you might be investing a thousand pounds, but you have strategic value that you can play, could the investors reach out to me, and you know they will um, provide me with that, and I'll I'll, I'll channel it to the mm-hmm. um, to the founders. Part of yeah. our, our our whole process is democratizing finance, democratizing access, and part of that is you know treating um, everyone at, at a level level playing field.
0: Mm-hmm. What well, have you? What kind of you know, if so, if I'm uh, if someone's listening to this and they have a large amount of capital that they're looking to diversify, what have you seen personally to be the type of profile, right, that that generally comes to a head ex to say I want to invest in startups? So that in case someone's listening to this that fits that yeah. profile, might be like, all right, I'm there. I think that's the right move for me. So generally, to be honest, is is people from
1: all walks of life. So mm. recently, I've spoken to a lot of doctors, dentists, pharmacists, much a lot people from the medical profession profession. You have engineers, accountants, auditors, lawyers, sure. and really because th- this is uh, like our, our our generation of even our generation plus as well of working professionals and you know, middle class, and we we don't have access to investment opportunities. The only thing we may have access to is real estate, and mm-hmm. real estate is generally to to invest in it. It's, it's um, You know there are issues that you know with with very compliance at at, at times so this really it's your everyday working professional that that i'm speaking to a lot nowadays and then that you have investors that are more experienced they will there would be business owners you know people that landlords that own houses restaurant owners and uh, then you have family offices so this is you know capital that some of these families are their net worths in the hundreds of millions plus and uh, it's really catered to everyone because what we offer is Sharia-compliant investing. You know, growing a Muslim ecosystem. These values are universal to investors, mm-hmm. regardless if they're you know just getting started with their career, or if they've you know getting they're retired and they're you know uh, they're, they're part of family office. So yeah. really, it's it's people from all walks of life.
0: Thank you for sharing that. So if we were to wrap up this episode with just a little bit of advice for our entrepreneurs are listening to this that are yeah. you know looking to get funding. Is there any any tips that you can give them, maybe two or three tips for startup owners that are looking to potentially seek funding? So first tip I would say is
1: speak to people. So reach out to founders that are, have raised capital before. Reach out to advisors, build a network for yourself of uh, of advisors that can really support you and help you. You will find that there will be a lot of people out there that can do that and be open to feedback. So a lot of the time, some of these, some of these uh, guys that have been through the process will be able to give you gems that you wouldn't get if you tried to do the process yourself. Be, um, be conscious of the partners that you take on board. So as Abby mentioned earlier, it's not about just the capital that you raise, it's who you raise it from. Mm-hmm. So have a good think about the, the, the values of the investor and ask them, like, what have you invested in previously? what sort of support can you give me and those those type of questions makes make a big difference and actually it puts you up quite a bit in terms of um the estimation from from the from the investor's point of view because not many people actually ask those types of questions so so don't be afraid to challenge the investors as well and and lastly do your homework so know the market inside out know your problem inside out spend some time really being a, a an expert of your space so literally you have to live and breathe it to the point that when you're having conversations you can reel off bits of statistics or information and you just know that you, you genuinely know and care about the the idea because being a founder is 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 not as glamorous as it seems there's a lot of lonely moments when i'm speaking to founders you can tell that some of them are, are, are tired and exhausted and it's really a long game, so you really need to be obsessed with the problem, obsessed with solving it. Uh, have the right people around you to be able to help you, and inshallah, you can be successful. You know, this is what we want to see in Wahidex entrepreneurs. We want to really create yeah. the next generation of Muslim founders that are successful. We want to create the next generation of Muslim-founded companies that are that that are on the edge of innovation that are really providing, um, you know, jobs and like amazing products for the Ummah
0: and beyond as well. Inshallah, 100%. Thank you so much for sharing all this with me. Brother Ali, this was an amazing episode. I think, you know, for me, this is probably one of my favorites because I think we condensed everything that people need to know, Muslims need to know when it comes to, you know, what are the ins and outs of getting halal funding for my startup as well as potential Muslim investors. You know, what should I know about investing in startups and how can I get started with that? So someone listening to this who wants to work with Wahid X, inshallah, where can we tell them to go? Where should they, where should they go, inshallah?
1: Perfect. No, thanks, Abby. Honestly, this has been my favorite episode as well. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) And uh, to reach me, you can reach me on LinkedIn, so Ali Ahmed on LinkedIn. To reach X, it's uh, wahidx.com. And I'm open for for founders, entrepreneurs, anyone to email me on uh, ali.ahmed at wahidx.com.
0: Awesome. So, those are the
1: three ways that they can get in touch.
0: Amazing. So if you're listening to the episode, make sure to please go ahead and navigate to wahedx.com. If you are a startup owner looking for funding, inshallah, to reach out there. And if you are an investor looking to invest in Muslim startups, go ahead and reach out there as well. And you can connect with Ali Ahmed on LinkedIn. We'll drop his links as well as his email in the description, inshallah. Ali, jazakallahu khayran. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I absolutely enjoyed our conversation and I thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Abi. inshallah. Thanks a lot for, for your time as well. Inshallah, see you soon.
0: Inshallah, Jazakallah khair. And you guys know the drill. This episode and this podcast in general is not sponsored. The way that we actually, and the reason why we do this is really just to give you value and contribute back to the Ummah. So if you want to help support back Ummah Printer in this podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and rate and review the podcast and share it with the people that you know. Spread it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are. And we'll see you in the next episode. As-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.